eternal. You do not change. You are holy, perfect. And you love us. You gave your life for us so that we may come to you and know you. Know how much you love us. Lord, help us to trust you in everything that you say. Now that you've proven to us how much you love us, help us to trust you as we follow you until we see you face to face. We thank you for this privilege in Jesus' name. word of God's faithfulness. Um, it's amazing that God is interested in the very detail of our lives and that he says we need to be anxious of nothing but in everything with thanksgiving and supplication like was shared in the offering come to him and it's just an amazing testimony again of, of just God's um, love for us as individuals. He knows what you're going through and, and um, when we ask him he he responds to our requests. And sometimes not in a way that we would like, but, but he does. So I just want to encourage um, someone here, just a word for you. If, if you're going through a difficult time, and maybe it seems insignificant, your request to God, but God hears and he answers because he is faithful. I mean, um, this morning I want to continue um, where Pastor Vanner stopped. Um, he's busy with a series on um, God's grace to us as a church and the various graces God has given us. Now, obviously, the greatest grace that God has given us is His Son, salvation. That is our greatest gift and our greatest grace. And He's also um, given us the Holy Spirit, which those two, the salvation and the Spirit, is God's grace, greatest gifts and grace towards the church. But there are other things also that God has given us gifts that he's given us he's given us his word and through his word we we get to understand and know him more and and through the spirit and the word leads us closer to him and then he's also given us fellowship fellowship with him and fellowship with one another it's a grace that god has given us a gift um, we have each other to encourage one another and to love each other and also to keep each other accountable according to the word and God's heart. And this morning I want to speak about discipline as a gift given to us. God has given us discipline so that we keep ourselves pure as we wait for his return. We read here in Ephesians 5, God's heart for the church. As we prepare ourselves for his return. That we may keep ourselves pure and ready. Husbands, love your wives just also as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, 
that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so here we see a picture of God preparing the church through the washing of the water of the word, through the word God prepares the church, takes him out the spots and the wrinkles and all the blemishes as we're preparing ourselves for Christ's return. I don't know if you've ever been at a wedding where the bride walks down with curlers in the hair. Anyone? <laughs> no, no, no. By that day, she is ready. She has spent weeks and months preparing the dress and the hair and the makeup and everything is perfect. When she walks down that aisle, all brides look so beautiful because they've been preparing themselves for this day. And, and so too God is waiting for us as the bride to prepare ourselves to be ready for that day. And he continually preparing us through the word and the spirit. And here we see that also correcting and the discipline, taking out the spots and the wrinkles and the blemishes is part of God's love towards us. It's part of the process of being washed by the word so that we can be ready for that day. Many, unfortunately, have a negative connotation when we speak about correction and discipline because of our own experience. We, we maybe have been disciplined and corrected that was more destructive than constructive. It was sometimes even abusive. And, and so many people respond to correction in a negative way because of others that have misused authority and the right to correct wrongly. But God's discipline is perfect. All his ways are perfect. And when God disciplines and corrects us, he does it from a place of love, but also from a place of perfection. Because only he is perfect. And so in Hebrews 12, we read about... This process of being corrected and disciplined by the Lord. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endeared from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sins, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without a discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as they seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight the paths of your feet so that what is lame might not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no bitter root springs up that causes trouble, but by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." You see, discipline is part of God's grace towards us, towards those He loves. It brings correction that we may share in His holiness and ultimately in the inheritance waiting for the sons and daughters of God. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But for those who've been trained by it, it produces fruit of righteousness and holiness. The Amplified um, Bible puts verse 11 this way. It says, For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it heals the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, right standing with God, a lifestyle and an attitude that seeks to conform to God's will and purpose. Part of being a city on a hill is this very desire to be a community called out of the world to live for God in holiness, submitting ourselves to His ways and His word to correct us in the way we live, in our attitudes and our lifestyles, that we may reflect Him in every way. That's one of the reasons why we, we are come together as a church, a community within a community. We're different to this world. There's a reason why we discipline. There are many different reasons why we are corrected and disciplined by the Lord. And one of the reasons is because sin that so easily ensnares us, sin leads to death. If sin is left unchallenged, uncorrected, and unrepented of, sin will lead to death. The Bible makes it very clear, and, and this, this morning I don't have enough time to to put that before us. But we know this. We see that right from Genesis to Revelation that the consequence of sin is death. And those who persist in it will not inherit the kingdom of God. So one of the reasons why we discipline is because we understand that sin leads to death. Therefore Jesus also commands us to keep each other accountable and to correct sin in love. And if there is no repentance, but rather a continuous disobedience to the word of God, to disfellowship, to break relationship, for the sake of the individual to understand that if reason and relationship cannot turn you away from your sin to God, then by putting you outside might 
force you to understand the seriousness and the nature of sin. And that it will cause death. Separation from God. Jesus says in Matthew 18 from verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentle and a tax collector. Why put someone out of church if there's unrepented, persistent sin in a person's life? Well, the first reason is to bring them to repentance. If, if, if this whole process of relationship and reason cannot convince someone by disfellowshipping him, brings him to the place where he understands the seriousness of sin and that it has consequence. Sin leads to separation from God. And so if we persist in it, it needs to be addressed. And so even Jesus said, if there's no repentance through a process of love and reason, put him out so that he can come to repentance. So we always keep this in mind, that with, with discipline and correction, it's, it's always unto restoration. The purpose of correction and discipline is repentance. But if there is no repentance, the Bible is also very clear how we should deal with it. In 1 Corinthians 5, as a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 chapter 10 speaks about discipline. But I'm not going to read all five chapters today. Unless you need to be corrected. So I'll just read the first 13 of chapter 5, but you can read the rest at home. Paul starts off with with an example of sin in the church. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. You are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover land, have been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother 
if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or is a rivaler, a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such one. For what do I do, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Therefore, purge the evil person from among you. Sorry, I was reading a different translation. But you followed. Sorry about that, I only <laughs> noticed now. I was reading ESV and that is New King James. So it sounds quite harsh when one reads the scripture for the first time. But if we understand the severity of sin and what it leads to, and also the cost to become unleavened, you know, Paul uses the term of unleavened bread, referring to in Hebrew understanding of the Passover. And leaven was a symbol of sin. And therefore, even in preparation for the Passover, weeks before that festival, they had to cleanse their houses of all traces of leaven. As a symbol of getting rid of sin before you come to God. And now we have become the unleavened bread of God. We've been called out of this world, out of the sinful world, to become his own special people, a holy nation that belongs to him, that have been redeemed from sin. And he says, listen here, we should no longer allow sin in our midst and deal with it. It sounds quite harsh, but we need to understand what sin is, what it leads to, and the price that was paid to set us free from it. So that we will do everything to convince those who continue in sin to repent and protecting others from doing the same. You know, I, I had a friend um, in England. Uh, we, we, were, we were students together. She, she came out of a lesbian background. And she, she accepted the Lord and got saved and, and radically changed the life. And followed the Lord passionately. And I was sent to England to plant a church. And at my first congregation, a year later, she joined the congregation. She came over to England and, and she became a small group leader. And she followed the Lord passionately. And, and in her workplace, she was confronted with, with her old sin again. And, and her superior was also a lesbian. And, and she fell back into the sin. And, and so in a loving way, we, we reasoned with her that you need to come to repentance. What you're doing is sin. And this sin will, 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 will lead to your condemnation before the law. You might lose your salvation. You, you need to come to repentance. And, and, and so through relationship and reason, we could not convince her and and. We had to ask her to leave the church. She, she resigned before we could publicly do that, but first you need to step down as a small group leader, and then she resigned. And, but what was the most difficult thing was to ask the church. It was a very close-knit church, and all her friends were in church, to no longer associate with her. And not even to eat with her. 
until she comes to repentance. And this is very, very difficult for her. It was very difficult for us. But for months, she was confronted with the loss of all her friends because of her willing disobedience to the law. Two years later, she came to repentance and came back to the church. Today, she's married with, last time I heard, to a man and two children. <laughs> now, discipline seems pleasant at times, but painful. But for those who are willing to be trained by it, it leads to fruit of righteousness. The second reason we correct and discipline sin is because it spreads like leaven. We read earlier in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may become a new lump. If one do not deal with unrepented sin in the midst of church, it spreads. Not just in the person, it not just grows. If we allow, if, if there's an unmarried couple that has sex outside of marriage, committing fornication, if we do not correct that sin in those individuals, it will grow in them. But it will also grow beyond them. Because sin spreads like leaven. Then others, especially young Christians, when unrepented sin is allowed in the church, young Christians think it is acceptable to also do the same sin. And therefore it's important to not just deal with sin in someone as an individual, but also within the church. Lest we all become defiled. Others might stumble, stumble, but also a culture develops within church where sin is allowed to grow. And it's one of the churches, the seven churches in Revelation, God's warning to them and rebuke is that you did not deal with the sin amongst you. And if you don't do so, your lampstand will be taken away from you. In Corinthians 6, the very next chapter, Paul repeats this list of sin and he, and he kind of gives more detail to sexual immorality. And he adds stealing to the list. And it's not an exclusive list. But here Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulter idolers, or adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites, or thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, nor rivals, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So for the sake of the individual and for the church, correction and discipline is necessary if there is unrepented sin. But we do not correct for trivial matters. What, what are the sins that we correct and discipline for? It is the clear disobedience to the word of God. That's what the Bible makes clear. If, if anyone disobeys the word of God, it is for those matters that we discipline. We do not correct and discipline for things outside of the Bible. We will not correct you if you vote a different political party than I do. <laughs> we, we, will not, we, we will not correct you for 
the choice of car that you drive. We will not correct you for your fashion. Unless it's not modest and too revealing. Then we might bring correction. Because that's something that the Bible does teach us. But not what brand you wear. If you want to wear Nike, go for it. It's more expensive than Ackermann's, but it's your choice. But where the Bible is clear, we are responsible for the sake of your salvation and the salvation of others. That correction needs to happen. Sexual immorality is very clear in the word. If you commit sexual immorality in love, there will be correction. We will show you in scripture that sexual immorality is a sin from God's perspective. Not the world's, but God's perspective. And as a Christian, as somebody that calls yourself a Christian, we now follow him. And God says sexual morality is wrong. It is a sin. And if you continue into it, it will lead to death. And therefore we'll correct it. And one of the most challenging things about corrections is sometimes not the sin itself, but the way you think about the sin. The fact that you think you can be a Christian and commit sexual immorality. And still remain safe in God's grace. That, that is a lie of the devil. And so many Christians persist in sin because they think they can continue in sin. And God's grace will just forgive them. And it doesn't matter. And then they haven't read Rebus 6, which we don't have time for now. That says that if we continue to sin knowing, we make the blood of Jesus cheap. And will be judged very severely. And, and so sometimes it is not just the sin, but the mindset behind the sin that needs to be addressed. And so in a loving, caring way, we plead and, 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 and reason with people who are in sin to repent, to come to repentance, to, to change the way you think so that you can be forgiven and restored. And if there is a continuous disobedience and rebellion against the word of God, if relationship and reason doesn't work, then we disfellowship. In an attempt to make the person see the seriousness of their sin. Even if we go as far as disfellowship, the heart and the purpose is always restoration. And so when that person repents, that person will be welcomed back to church. How do, we, how do we measure repentance? Well, that's simple. The Word of God tells us how to measure repentance. It says you must have fruit of repentance. So if you are stealing, and, and we correct you on your stealing, or you commit fraud, and, 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 we, and we are pleading with you, and we show you why fraud is sinful, and that you need to come to repentance... And you resist that and you persist to justify that and say, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do it anyway. For whatever reason, it might lead to the fact that we're going to disfellowship. But if you then come to repentance, what is repentance? It's a change of thinking. 180 degree thinking differently about fraud. 
Fraud is sinful. God says you shall not steal, you shall not lie. So then repentance is first and foremost, I realize that stealing and lying is sin. And I go before God and God, I'm sorry for stealing and lying. I realize it is a sin. Please forgive me. And then you will have fruit of repentance. In other words, you're going to stop stealing and lying. So how are we going to know that there's repentance? Well, when you stop stealing and lying, then there's fruit of repentance. So if you confess that I've come to realize what I've done is wrong and I've stopped, then you'll be welcome back. Fruit of repentance. All discipline, purpose, is repentance, forgiveness, restoration. Even when the extreme is in place. But we will not correct, or no, we will not For the sake of definition, I'm going to separate correction and discipline. It's part of the same process. But we will not excommunicate someone for things that are not clear in the Bible. Okay? Now, let me use an example. Who of you believe smoking is a sin? Quick poll. Who of you believe smoking is sinful? Put up your hand. No, no, hi. No, no, no. This is a poll now. No, I can't see you. It's dark. I don't know, man. Can't see you. Who believes is not sinful? Mm, okay. Who's unsure? Okay, it's like 33% in either way. Okay, so, so it's just, it, look, the Bible isn't clear about smoking. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're not allowed to smoke. But it does say that our body is a temple of God. And that we shouldn't destroy that body. It does say that we shouldn't be um, intoxicated. I don't think if smoking intoxicates you. But, but we do understand from other scriptures that harming the temple of God knowingly is against God's will. So if you smoke in our church, we will not excommunicate you. What we will do is because of our culture, in the Christian world, it is understood that smoking is not befitting a Christian. It's not a good example. And it transgresses other commandments that can be inferred to smoking. So what we will do as a church, if you do smoke, we will encourage you to stop smoking. We will encourage you to stop smoking, but we will not excommunicate you if you do. But if you commit murder, or you're a liar, or a drunkard, or a swindler, or a rivaler, which is abusive, you will be corrected, and if you, put, if you resist, and continue unrepentantly in that sin, it might lead to be excommunicated. Drunkenness is being intoxicated by a substance. So we will also apply that to other substances that can make you intoxicated, like drugs. So as you know, it's not the same as, I don't know, what's the brands? Benjamin and Johnson, I can't even... Oh, vaping. It's not the same. The Bible makes it very clear. Drunkenness. 
It's unacceptable. To be intoxicated by substance is unacceptable. But, so what I'm saying is there are certain things that because of the community that we live in, who of you believe eating meat is wrong? There we go, one, one guy. <laughs> Two people, yeah, John, I get it. But it your Paul says, listen here, in my culture, in the Corinthians culture, in that culture, the eating of meat was a contentious thing because meat was offered to idols and was part of idol worship. And he says, must be careful. Look, there's nothing wrong with eating meat, he says. There's nothing, even, there's nothing about an idol can do to you. But if you know this meat was offered to an idol, don't eat it. But if you go to a gentle, don't ask. Just eat the meat. Just pray. That's why we pray for food. Just pray and eat it. <laughs> Don't ask anything. Just eat it. Because it, there's nothing wrong with yeah, Meat's not going to... I don't... But if they tell you this meat was offered to an idol, don't touch it. The same steak. I mean, I've just prayed for the steak. I'm like ready. I said, by the way, it's offered to an idol. Walk away. Not for your sake, not because there's anything wrong with the meat or the idol, because if they didn't tell you, you couldn't eat it. But if they tell you, walk away from it. For the sake of the weaker Christian, that they might not think it's okay to eat meat offered to an idol. So therefore, if my eating of meat make anyone stumble, I will never eat meat again, says Paul. I will become like John at the desk. In Koos. <laughs> in Wilhelm. Waar is Wilhelm? Skelm. Kan jy glo, ek het een elder wat die vlees eet die. So, if my smoking is going to cause others to stumble or an, an offense, I'm not going to smoke. So there are certain things within a culture that we will correct even though the Bible isn't clear, but we will not excommunicate. But where the Bible is clear, people, we are also very clear. With love and patience. Because that's what God called us to. There's a whole list. When it comes to adultery, the word is very clear. Sexual immorality, the word is very clear. Stealing, drunkenness, rivalry, extortioner, worshipping idols, sexual immorality. The, the list continues to other scriptures. Murder, swearing, lying, unbiblical divorce, false teaching, causing division. There are just so many different things that the Bible is very clear on. This is sin and needs to be corrected. It needs to be repented from and ceased. In your presence. The Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. That unrepented sin leads to discipline. And ultimately excommunication. In Revelations I mentioned. You know the Lord says. This is not because I'm angry. This is because I love you. And I, and I know where sin will take you. So in Revelation 3 verse 19. It says those who I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous. And repent. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm trying to protect you. In the Amplified, it puts it this way. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I rebuke and discipline. 
showing them their faults and instructing them. So be enthusiastic and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior, and seek God's will. If there is no repentance, God says to the churches, your lampstand will be removed. So, the aim of discipline and correction is repentance, restoration. It's not vengeance. The aim of correction and discipline is not vengeance, but restoration. Repentance leads to forgiveness and forgiveness restoration even after excommunication. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained, you have won your brother. Now one of the reasons why people resist correction and discipline is because of a misquotation and understanding of Jesus' own words in Matthew 7 when he says, do not judge. And then often people will say, but who are you to judge? We are not allowed to judge. How can I go to my brother if I'm not allowed to judge whether what you're doing is right or wrong? That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus was speaking in the context of the Pharisees that were themselves sinful and judging others for trivial matters while ignoring God's clear instructions. Jesus meant that we should not condemn others for minor things in their lives while ignoring the major sins in our own lives. That's why Jesus says, first take out the log, the plank in your own eye, so that you will then be able to take out the spot in somebody else's. So he was confronting hypocrisy. The very act of discipline requires judgment. How can we judge whether someone is sinful or not? It requires judgment. And, and here the English word is not helpful. In Afrikaans, oordeel in veroordeel. We are not allowed to veroordeel, but we are called to oordeel. We are allowed to judge, but not to condemn. To discipline, but not to execute vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. That's why 1 Corinthians 5, we read it earlier from verse 12. For what do I have to do judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore you put out from among yourselves the evil person. You need to judge inside. As a matter of fact, in the very next chapter, Paul continues to explain in further detail our responsibility to judge within the church and not allow judgment to take place from outside of the church. He's even speaking about legal matters. He's taking it beyond moral issues to legal issues. And he says, how can you not judge issues between one another and then you go to the outside, to the law, and allow unbelievers to judge over you? He says, it's another failure on your behalf. Let's listen here. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you, not, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? 
Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now therefore, it is an utter failure for you to go to the law against one another. Yes, we are called to judge, but not to condemn. And so I want to plead with you as a church, as a city on a hill, as a community within a community. I'm not a legal expert. If you have a legal matter between another member, please come to us first. I'm not a legal expert, but I know legal friends. And the point is not to be a legal entity. We are not that. But we can look at the word, grant the church an opportunity to first settle matters amongst yourselves before you go to the law. If we cannot solve your issues, your disputes, if the church cannot, then please go to the law. Go that route. But please first allow us to try and solve it outside because that is what God calls us to. So yes, we are called to weigh, to discern, and to judge between right and wrong, justice and injustice. So please, I, I beg you, it's not from a place of vengeance, but allow God to work through His church. If we fail, please, Take the legal route, but not before we haven't tried. We as leadership, when we have to correct and discipline according to the word, not legal matters anymore. I'm going back. Sorry for jumping there. Going back to the, to the word. Where we have authority is what the word says, and what the word says is right, and what the word says is wrong. There's where my authority lies. I'm not a legal judge. I can try and resolve your issues. But when it comes to what God clearly says in his word, there I am the authority. A legal judge is not going to help you there. He might tell you the opposite. But, but even in exercising that position and responsibility, I take it with great fear and humility. And here you can ask my wife, I... I struggle sometimes for years with the word around one, about one very clear thing at a time. Because I understand as a pastor, when you come to me what, and ask me, I, I in a sense represent the kingdom. I represent God and, and the way I communicate and what I say have the potential to influence you in your relationship with the Lord. And sometimes the things that the Lord asks of us will cost us dearly. And therefore I, I take it with, with great humility and fear and love and patience when we correct, correct 
and discipline. You know, Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass or transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I, I understand, we understand the severity of the responsibility that we have. And we do not take it lightly. But prayerfully, patiently, with lots of love and patience. We labor to, to convince. James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. My, my life is an open book to this church. I am not better than you. I am not different. I've just been given a responsibility. And everything in my life is open. You have the right to ask, to question, to confront anything in my life. The way I live, treat my wife, my children, you have the right to do so. I ask you to do so. Because I will give greater account for my life because of the position that I stand because how I live can lead others if I, if I do not live in a godly way it can lead others to do the same so we do not take this lightly 1 Timothy 5 says do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. But we also have a responsibility to do so. As leaders before the Lord. In Ezekiel we read God speaking to the watchman. And he says again I have appointed you as a watchman. And as leaders that is part of our responsibility. To watch over the flock. To be shepherds. To take care of his flock. To make sure that nobody goes astray. But to keep them together. Because if they go astray, they become prey to the, to the wild. To the devil. And so our role as shepherds is to keep everybody together. And to protect and to, and to make sure. It says again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice. And I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. And because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. We have a responsibility. In that same portion he says, but if you warn and they don't listen... It's not your responsibility. But if we don't warn, 
it will be ours. So church discipline is a biblical instruction for the protection of the individual and also for the community of believers. To correct those who go astray with the aim of repentance and reconciliation. Therefore, as a church, we, we discipline for sin, for blatant disobedience to the word of God, in love, with fear and patience, protecting and preparing the bride of Christ for his return. Please help us in that regard. If you see a brother or sister in sin, go to them in person. Don't come to us. First go to them, like Jesus instructed. First go to them in person. If you see a brother or sister in sin, are you your brother's keeper? Oh, yes. It's an age-old question. When Cain murdered Abel, the God asked him, where's your brother? And his response, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer is yes, you are. So if you see, if it's a perception, if it is a suspicion, or even if it's clear, first, please, go to your brother yourself. Go to your sister yourself. Ask them in humility. Reason with them. Find out whether it is true that they are actually in sin. Sometimes it's just a perception. But find out if it is true. And reason with them. See if you can't convince them to come to repentance. And if they do, you've saved them. You've gained your brother. If they don't, go to a small group leader. Two or three witnesses. Go back to them. Reason with them in humility and love to convince them to come to repentance. If they still persist, please come speak to us. And we will try everything in love and patience to convince them through the word that what they do is wrong and they need to come to repentance. And if they do not listen to the church, from time to time we might ask people not to fellowship with us any longer. But please help us. Pray for repentance throughout the process. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be different to the world. We are called to live for Christ. And to allow His Spirit to produce in us fruit of righteousness and holiness. We are God's own special people, called out of this world. Let us live in a way that brings glory to Him. Let, let us make ourselves ready. Let's, let's take out all the spots and the wrinkles and the blemishes in our own lives. Let's first look to ourselves before we look to others. And I want us to make use of this opportunity. I'm going to ask the ushers to hand out the elements of communion and if you're not a believer, please do not partake of communion. The Word of God says if we partake of this in an unworthy manner, we bring judgment on ourselves. But as believers, as we partake of communion, let us use this as an opportunity as we take the unleavened bread and, and we take the cup. Let us consider our own hearts. Let us come before the Lord this morning and, and ask the Holy Spirit to show us if there is sin that is unrepented in our lives.
that we can humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for paying the price to redeem me, to forgive me. Lord, I come to you and I confess my sin and I, I want to repent. I want to change the way I think about this, Lord, and I want you to help me never to do this again because I'm going to live for you. So I want to give you a moment as you consider your own life and then, then we're going to eat and drink together. We're going to thank God for, for His grace towards us, forgiving us of our sins. Just close your eyes where you are, just for a moment. Just allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, not for condemnation, but for love. Help us, Lord, to grow, to become the bride that is ready for you. Washed, clean, taking care to get rid of the wrinkles and the spots, the blemishes. Oh, thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you. For the space that you've created through your son. Thank you that you've given us grace through faith. When we come to you, you forgive. You cleanse us. Lord, we often have to come to be washed. Help us not to be comfortable with the dirt on us to come to you often just to be washed we are not perfect yet but we're aiming for that day I'm reminded of 1 John so we all just meditate on this this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
Father, how great your love and grace is towards us. That even though we are not perfect, we can be washed clean every day. As we humble ourselves before you, confess our sins. Thank you that your forgiveness is complete and perfect. You not just forgive our sins, you cleanse us. And for some of you here this morning, I want to say, God says, I'm not just forgiving you. I'm cleansing you of all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how great your sin, how frequent it's been. Every time you come to me, I wash you clean because I love you. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you, Lord. This bread represents the cost paid for our sins. As we eat this, Lord, may we not forget what it cost you. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. Lord, your ways and thoughts are not ours. You are holy, you are perfect, and you are all wise. And in your wisdom, you made a way of perfect redemption. Perfection that's not from us, but from you. It is the sacrifice of your son. The blood of a lamb that washes us clean. Thank you that as we put faith in what you've done for us and confess our sins, this blood washes me clean. Thank you, Lord. Let's drink together. Now that you are forgiven, go and sin no more. Go live for him. Let's love each other. Look out for one another. And live in such a way that you will receive the glory. And be light amongst the darkness. Amen. Thank you for coming. May God bless you. Um, there's some refreshments. One thing I forgot to mention, um, if you don't know who the elders are, they are on that board. Um, so I'm Johnny, and Valhalla, that did the offering, and Werner, and myself. If there's things in my life that you're uneasy with, and you don't feel comfortable to speak to me, please go speak to them. They'll, they'll speak to me, don't worry. Um, let's love one another. Care for one another. Look out for one another. Amen. God bless you. Trust to see you next week.